0: As we come now before the very Word of God, would you turn in your Bibles, if you'd like to read with me, into the Old Testament and the book of Hosea. We'll be again now in Hosea. And as you turn there, before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord, you are true to your Word. And you've said of yourself that you are abounding in steadfast love and rich in mercy, and that is true, we know. Lord, by your love now, would you you pierce our hearts with your word? Help us to see in this time what is true of us and true of you, that we would come to love and follow you more. We ask your guidance now by your spirit, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is the book of Hosea. I want to take up this morning the bulk of the first chapter. So this is chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 1, and we hear almost to the end. But we'll begin now in Hosea, chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer. Gomer. The daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel, and on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned No Mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name, not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this text puts us us at the beginning of our interaction with the prophet Hosea. Hosea. And before we even get into the text, prophets, we need to know, are sometimes misunderstood. Prophets are sometimes seen by people as, as these sort of foretellers of the future, that that's their main job is to kind of peer into the beyond. And while they sometimes do dip into the future a little bit, that is not a prophet's primary role It is better to describe prophets, at least the ones that we see in the scripture, as mouthpieces of God. A prophet is a mouthpiece of God. That is, a prophet brings a message directly from God at God's command to the people. And they often use the phrase, uh, thus saith the Lord, because it's not their own words, it's God's word. They speak the word of God, not their own And if we were to browse through the writing of the various prophets, we'd notice that they usually move straight into that word from God. So the very next prophet over, at least in our ordering of the books, the prophet Joel begins like this, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, hear this, you elders. That is, he doesn't play around. The word of the Lord, here's the word. Buckle up. Here's here's how it goes. The approach is similar with other prophets. Amos, Obadiah, a lot of others. But Hosea is different. He's still a prophet. Still the mouthpiece of God. He still bears the word of God. But the first word we hear, at least in the book of Hosea, does not come from the Lord to the people through Hosea. The first word is from the Lord to the people to Hosea, to the prophet himself. The first words we get in this book are instructions from God to Hosea. And these instructions that Hosea receives are going to permanently change Hosea's life in a very big way. Because Hosea and his family are about to function like a living that is, a major part of Hosea's message is not in, just in what he says, but in what his life shows. Hosea is a visual word from the Lord. Now, the question, the big question is, what is? is that visual word. Let's look at what Hosea is called to do. The summary is in verse 2. Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. This sounds like it's going to be a fun time, doesn't it? Let's pack as many times as I can say whoredom in a small space, eh? God's first call to Hosea is not go preach. It's go get married. So that's the call from God. And we learn in the very next verse, verse 3, he, he marries this woman named Gomer, and I don't know about you all, I mean, I, I know Gomer's a Hebrew name and it means other things in their culture, but in English, does Gomer remind you of anything? I can't get out of my head. Gomer Pyle from, from Andy Griffith, does it, you know the, is, isn't that the surprise, surprise, surprise guy? Uh, you know, it, the, the name itself just it sounds very unpleasant, but the sound of her name is far better than the description of this woman which is that she's a wife of whoredom. Yikes. Whoredom is not a word that we use very often. Uh, We know some of the translations here, different uh, Bible translations translate the Hebrew different ways. Sometimes they translate this as harlot or prostitute or promiscuous woman or woman inclined to infidelity. That's a long one. Those different translations give us a big spectrum of impressions, so let me try to clear up as much as I can. The text does not clearly tell us that Gomer actually is a prostitute or a harlot. It does not say that that's her career or that this is how she makes a little money on the side. I'll try to be discreet about that. But the text does strongly align her with such things. So it is not strong enough to just call her promiscuous. Nor is it strong enough to call her inclined to infidelity. That's not strong enough language. I think the way that my translation puts it carries the weight of the text about right. That she is a wife of whoredom. You get a sense, then, of who this woman is. And I don't think I have to tell you that to marry a wife of whoredom is a really big deal. That's a big deal. You know, marriage is designed by God. It's not just a cultural construct. It's designed by God to be a sacred covenant, that in marriage we, we pledge vows to one another. This is a lifelong faithfulness, the till death do us part sort of thing. So when Jesus is asked to clarify whether a man can divorce his wife for any reason, this is in, in Matthew chapter 19 if you're interested. When he's asked, can a, can a man divorce his wife for any reason, Jesus says, absolutely not. No, marriage is a one Flesh bond. But then, he gives one caveat. One exception, at least one condition in that particular context in which divorce might be appropriate. Not if the wife is lazy or a liar. You know, it's not if she's a a, a bitter, mean woman. It's not if you just stop liking her company the only case is in, is in the occasion of sexual immorality, he says. And then divorce may be permitted. That is to say that sexual unfaithfulness is the one major thing that breaks the marriage bond. So for Hosea to marry a wife of whoredom, his marriage is on the rocks from the beginning. He doesn't even get to start off well. Such a thing would typically be forbidden. Paul talks about uh, this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Where is it? Uh, verse 15, he says, Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Don't you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it's written, the two will become one flesh. This sort of thing is just not allowed. Which means then that given the context of such things, some people have tried to make the case that Gomer was not actually in whoredom when Hosea married her. That maybe she was only sexually unfaithful after they got married, but that just doesn't hold up to the text. So if we look closely at the text here in Hosea, we know the Lord is wise and good, and what he calls to us is always right, and so the Lord does not tell Hosea to take Gomer as his wife. Right? If you look closely, he doesn't say, take Gomer as your wife. He says, take a wife of whoredom. And then Hosea heard that and went and chose Gomer as his wife. In other words, she is probably well known to be a woman of this sort of reputation, not just in her past. This is her present way of life. That is, Hosea goes, hmm, I'm supposed to take a wife of whoredom? Gomer it is. And even though Hosea is obedient to God in this, I'm sure this was still a very big scandal. The prophet and the town whore. They would have been a talk of the town. Now, before we move on to the focus of the text and how this plays out for them, this living parable of Gomer and Hosea and their children, I want to make a few things as clear as I can. The Bible is in no way pro-whoredom. Don't think I need to say that. But just in case, it is not pro-whoredom for men or women, okay? The Bible has a very high view of sex that is valuable and sacred and to be guarded. It's to be kept only within the context of marriage as something that, that strengthens that one flesh union. So whoredom is sin, That is not a word, whoredom, that we should use flippantly. It is supposed to be shocking here in Hosea. And yet, the intent here with Gomer, this wife of whoredom, at least in the end, is not, not to make a mockery of her. It is not to shame or disgrace or belittle her to throw her out like yesterday's trash. That's not the point here. The point is to redeem her. We see Jesus relating in similar ways with women like Gomer. So when he meets the woman at the well, the woman who had five-plus husbands, When Jesus talks with her, he is full of kindness and compassion. He offers her the living water of his very self. We know Jesus was famous for inviting prostitutes and tax collectors into the kingdom of God first, even, he says. And Jesus himself is the offspring of a prostitute. His great-great-great-great-great-great-grandma Rahab was a prostitute. So Gomer is not garbage. Some of you, men or women, some of you may find yourself relating to Gomer. Maybe you have a history of things that you're not proud of. Maybe you even have current wrestles in relation to sex that make you ashamed. And I'm not just talking about prostitutions. I mean battles with lust, internal desires that we know are perverse. There may even be engagements with pornography, adultery, perhaps even rape. Whether these are part of sins done to you or sins done by you, we often drag these things around like a cement block hung around our neck. Now listen to me. You need to hear me say this. Jesus never affirms sin, but he does redeem sin. Jesus never affirms sin, but he does redeem sin. There is no one, no one too broken for Jesus. Jesus loves and receives every broken sinner who would come to him. Jesus cleanses us by his blood, washes us clean, and even helps us to walk in growing holiness by his Holy Spirit. You need to hear that from me. The church wants to walk with you in these things too, if we look around, we're all just a bunch of broken, needy beggars in the need of Jesus and the riches of his grace. Me too. So don't hear me sitting on a high horse here. There. Now. For all that we've said so far about Gomer, this wife of whoredom, she is not meant to be the focus of the text, at least in this section. She's mentioned a number of times, but verse 3 here, the first chapter, is the only time in the entire book that we're going to hear her name. The main focus here is actually on her kids, which are called the children of whoredom. Boy, what a thing to be known by, Right? There go the children of whoredom. At any rate, we've got three kids here, a boy, a girl, and a boy, who are now part of this living parable. They are symbols of the fruit of unfaithfulness. And they are named in a way that carries specific messages to the nation of Israel. So I know this has been a long time. We'll just briefly here look at the three of them. The first of them is named Jezreel, And we're given the reason for the name in verse 4. The Lord said to Hosea, call his name, this first son, Jezreel, for, here's the reason, for in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. There's a lot of history here. In the Bible. We don't have time to go into all the history that this name refers to. But I can say for now that that Jezreel is a place. It's not a person, it's a place. It's a site of a number of bloody battles in the Bible. So to name this child Jezreel is similar to today if we named one of our children Gettysburg or Pearl Harbor. There's an introduction. So that's the first child, the boy Jezreel. The second child, uh, let's see, where is it? Verse 6, she, Gomer, conceived again and bore a daughter. Now, before we talk about her name, with the first child Jezreel, we're told that Gomer conceived and bore to him, to Hosea, this child Jezreel. But that little phrase, bore to him, is missing here now with the second and third children. The first one's born to Hosea The second just says, and she bore a child Which isn't totally clear But most scholars suggest And I tend to agree with this That that means the second and third child Are not Hosea's This is from some other man Some other milkman Maybe multiple men That are now expressions of Gomer's Ongoing unfaithfulness so this second child is born, a daughter. In verse six, her name is to be called Lo Ruhamah in the Hebrew, which means no mercy. Oof! You know, I, I mean, in English, it's common for people to name a girl, you know, like Grace. Can you imagine the opinions of the family if you announce the name? Here's our daughter, ungrace. Non-grace. I think people would have thoughts about that. And there's a little clarity here that this ungrace, this unmercy, specifically here is in relation to war, We're told that the nation of Judah is going to receive mercy. They'll be saved by the Lord, not by their own bow or sword or horses. But Israel, in contrast, will not be spared, will not be saved, will not receive mercy. Burr. That's the second child. The third child, I think, is the most chilling of the three. When the third child is born, a, a boy... This boy is named Lo Ami, meaning not my people. You know, from way back to the Egypt days, and even before that, the Lord said to Pharaoh Israel is my firstborn son. These are my people, my children. We are his. We are part of his covenant family. And so we hear this refrain of God's covenant. You will be my people and I will be your God. You will be my people and I will be your God. You will be my people and I will be your God. And now this child is named with the anti-covenant. Verse 9 at the end. For you are not my people. And I am not your God. Here's now their family photo Hosea the prophet, Gomer, the wife of whoredom, and their three kids Pearl Harbor, Unmercy, and Not My Kid. Cheese. You know, this is not a Brady Bunch. This is not the Beaver Cleaver household. Uh, This is the kind of family that some of us might not want our kids to play with their kids. They might be seen as a bad influence. Here is Hosea now, the very prophet of the Lord, the mouthpiece of God, who has not spoken a single word yet in the text. And yet, His family is a parable that speaks volumes. His family is a snapshot photo of the people of Israel. This is the beginning, then, of the book. It's a tragedy that's dramatically unfolding. Let me take this and ride this wave to the end. Some people, then, might look at Hosea's situation and say, you know, this is a little too dramatic. You know, it's a bit overdramatic, isn't it? I mean, did the Lord really have to bring three kids into this? These aren't just characters. These are real people, after all. I mean, why did God have to make such a big circus out of Gomer? Couldn't Hosea have just preached a sermon or something? No. No, he could not. Partly because the Lord called him to do this. That's sufficient reason enough. But aside from that, let's just be honest. Sermons do not always have the effect we want them to. You're going to go home and remember every bit of this, right? You remember last week's and the week before? You know, we could listen to... 52 sermons a year 520 a decade and it's possible that not one of those would change us one bit in our life or in our love for the Lord you could sit here every day every week and it could go in one ear and out the other I pray that that's not true of us even of me but Hosea now is not just a sermon. He's not just talking about it. He's the word of the Lord lived out amongst the people. It's dramatic, yes, but this is not over dramatic. There is no drama big enough to com- to convey the tragic effects of ongoing sin. But it's worth noting here that this tragedy is dramatically unfolding. Did you notice this as we think through? This is the family. It's a long process to build this family of kids. they're married, they conceive, born, weaned, repeat. Conceive, born, wean. repeat, conceive, born. This would have taken years to grow up this family of three children. Time is passing here, and God has been patient with Hosea and with the people throughout those years, and yet nothing changes the whoredom continues and the covenant is still broken so what now? You know, the message and and the story of Hosea is going to continue to unfold. We'll get to see this in the coming weeks. We know something's got to change. They need some sort of intervention for this land of whoredom. but uh, we'll have to wait to see where that goes. But for today, we want to see here that this covenant that's broken reminds us of our need for a new and better covenant, a covenant that will remain upon us And that is what Jesus came to establish. As we're about to gather and receive communion together, we'll hear the words of Jesus that this is the new covenant in my blood. And as we receive these things, yes, we are to look and acknowledge at our own sin, at our own covenant-breaking ways, our own land of whoredom, so to speak. But after we do that, then we're to turn our eyes to the covenant keeper that is the Lord, the one who redeems us. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you not let us be unaffected by these things? that as we examine ourselves and see our own sin, would you humble us and draw us near to you? That in our lack of love, would you draw us by your love that we would receive your grace and be forever thankful to you for it? Lord, by your spirit, would you work such things in our hearts that you would be praised? And we ask this in